Welcome back to Be Great with Nate. In today's Survivor Chronicles stories, I'm going to share a deep story with you. A story that is going to show you that there's something out there that's so strong and powerful that the world is just not you versus you or you versus your enemy. There's something a lot more powerful than that. When I was around 16, 17 years old, I just woke up and it was about five in the morning. And as I woke up, I felt intentionally or intuitively that there was something weird going on. We lived in this one apartment. It was our first apartment my father, my brother, and my two uncles lived in. It was a two-bedroom apartment in the basement. And I was laying on the bed. I usually share a bed with my uncle. And as I'm laying on the bed, I'm sleeping. And then I just, for some reason, I just felt something weird going on. As I opened my eyes, I look to the left and I see my uncle in the closet. And as he's on the closet, his hands are on the wall and he's on his tippy toes. So I was very confused on what was going on. I was trying to see, is he, is he playing hide and seek with my little brother? Or is, at the moment, you ever wake up and you're just trying to figure out, you're just waking up, you're just trying to see things and getting your brain going and waking your body up. I was a little confused. So as I looked to the left, I saw him doing it. And then as I look up, since I'm in the basement, I can see we're on a low level I see feet just running past my window. It was probably about 10 people that just ran past my window. So the first thing that came to my mind, I was like, oh man, I think we're getting robbed. So I go to my uncle and I said, what's going on? And he just said this, he put his finger over his mouth and told me to shh. So I'm like, oh, maybe we are playing hide and seek. So I opened the door and my brother used to sleep on the couch in the living room and my brother's sleeping. So I said, if my brother's sleeping, he's in, in and my uncle's in the room, so what's going on? So as I'm trying to problem solve, at that moment, boom, the SWAT team kicks down the door. So we probably had like 30 SWAT members come in with guns. And as they're all going in, they're all clearing out every room. The SWAT, one of the SWAT people put a gun on me and told me, get on my knees and hands up. I get on my knees. I put my hands up, very confused on what's going on. They had these flashlights on their guns. And I was very confused on what was going on. And the first thing that came to mind was my father. You see, when I was a kid, there was a day where I woke up and my mother and I went to the supermarket. And when we went to the supermarket, we were on our way back. We lived in a town called Bayonne at the moment. And we went back to this our apartment and she got into an argument with a man on the first floor of my apartment building. As they're arguing with each other, this man smacks my mother right in front of me, just smacks my mother. I was about like seven, eight years old. I felt powerless. I felt nervous. I felt shocked. And I actually froze up. I didn't even know what to do. My mother started crying, grabbed my hand, ran upstairs. And as she's talking to me, my mother on her face just had this red mark on her face from that smack. She immediately calls my father. My father comes. My father comes. We had two ways to get into this one apartment, either the back that takes you down the steps or the front. And my mother, my father came, came up the steps with my cousin from the projects. And as my father came upstairs, he had a pizza and my dad's eating a pizza. He's sitting down. I'm sweating and shaking. It took him about like 40 minutes to get to my house at the time. And my cousin and him are sitting down eating pizza. My mom is fully red from all the crying that she's doing. And my father is at peace, just eating a pizza. My father gets up. He goes to wash his hands. And as he washes his hands, he comes out, dries his hands, and looked at my cousin and said, you ready? He said, yes. They both leave out the back door. The back door had like a balcony, so I looked downstairs. 
And I saw my father walk up to this man and knock him out. Completely just knock this man out. My cousin went and fought the man's brother. And my father hit this man so hard that the man was unconscious. My father comes back upstairs, washes his hands again, gives me a kiss, tells me he loves me and he'll see me this weekend. Then he leaves. The cops came. When the cops came, they, the ambulance came and the man was, they thought that he had a really bad concussion. They were trying to get information out of him. And I went to go tell the cops, hey, listen, this man hit my mother. And they completely ignored me and they were looking for my father. And I was trying to explain to cops, no, 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 my father came. This man just smacked my mother. My mother, you see her face, it's bruised. They ignored that. The cops in this town that we were in were known to be a racist town. Um, when you grew up in Jersey City, there's certain parts that in, in North Jersey that if you go to certain towns, there's a lot of racism. And for those that don't know, my father's a black man. My mother's a white woman. They got the details on my father. And then a cop said, he didn't punch you. He hit, he pistol whipped you. My mother said, he did not pistol whip him. He punched him. They said, no, he pistol whipped him. And they immediately put a, a warrant out for my father's arrest. My father was wanted everywhere in that town. They actually have pictures, a, a sketch, a sketch of him printed out. Now, this is a very important story because you're going to see how this story backfired on my father many times in our life that made me have to hide from cops the majority of my life. So my father, had, he was on probation at the time, and he knew that if he were to go into his probation, see his probation officer, they would arrest him because of this. So my father had a couple cop friends, and he was trying his best to try to get the cop friends to drop the warrant because it was not a pistol whip, and it was 100% defending his, his children's mother from being smacked. Nobody wanted to hear that. So my father violated probation, and my father was not allowed to now be seen by cops, right? So now he had a violation of probation, and he had a warrant for his arrest that made it worse. So we knew if they took dad, dad was going down for a long time. So let's go back to the story. That happened. That was when I was like seven, eight. Let's go back to when I'm around like 15, 16 years old. Actually, I was around 16, 17 at this time. We were in this apartment, and... As I see the cops running into my dad's room, I thought it was the day that they finally got us. After running away and hiding from the cops for about 10 years, I thought they finally got us. And I had to figure out what to do. As I turn around, they have my uncle taking the shoelaces out of his sneakers. Uh, that's what they do when they arrest you. They put handcuffs on you. First, they take the, shoe, the shoelaces out. They handcuff them. They put his the shoes on. They had him holding there. And then I saw this one last cop come in. This one last cop had a badge and he was dressed down like an undercover cop. And he came in like a movie scene. You ever see a movie scene where cops, boom, go in, everybody rushes in. And then there's that one guy that comes in at the last moment. And that's the scene that I had. And he had a piece of paper and he had a folder and the folder had two faces on it. And it said my uncle's name and my father's name. And it was that drawing of my father in a, in a picture of my uncle. Then he walks into my dad's room. He goes, Nate, time's up. We finally got you. So I'm still on the ground on my knees with my hands up. My brother's just waking up. He was woken up out of his sleep. So he's on the couch with his hands up. And at that moment, I said, I have to figure something out. 
So I get up, the cop, the, the, one of these guys tried to stop me from getting up and I said, don't touch me. I went in a room and I said, listen, if you arrest my father, I'm going to sell drugs. And the guy at first brushed me off. He said, Nate, he was trying to get my dad to sit up so they can cuff him up. So they're putting handcuffs on my father. And I said, listen, are you listening to me? And when the man turned around and looked at me, he said, Nate? Nate Ortiz? And I said, yes. He said, the Nate Ortiz, the St. Anthony's football player, Nate Ortiz. So a few days before that, we had a football game. And my high school just created a football program for the first time in school history. And Bob Hurley, my basketball Hall of Fame coach, told me, you should try football. You're 6'3". You're a big, strong kid. You're really good at moving and, and catching the ball. Go try football. So I listened to him. I tried football. Well, I became one of the biggest football players in the state of New Jersey. Never played it before, but I became one of the biggest football players. Our program became so good because all the players that went to play for St. Anthony's basketball, the people that weren't getting enough playing time, we went over to bat football and started playing. And we were super athletes and we just all put our skills, our work ethic and our athletic abilities and put it on the field. And we actually became the number one uh, team in the county. And there was this one team that was notoriously known to be the best every year. And they were number two. So we played the number two team. That's usually the number one. And there was about six to 7,000 people there. And the difference is, is that we come from different parts of the Jersey City. So the cops were on extra duty that night. And there was a lot of cops because they knew that these neighborhoods getting together can cause harm, right? A lot of issues can pop up. So this person, I'm not going to say what he is and who he is because I'm not allowed to say all that. But this person is one of the head people in the department. And he was there that night. And we actually won the game and I had a big game and I had about like five to six uh, division one schools to come see me. And I did a lot of interviews after, and he came up to me and he congratulated me. He told me to keep doing good. And he likes the fact that I'm a street kid that's staying out of trouble. So when he looked and saw me, he said, I was just at your game. And I said, yes. I said, yes, that's me. And then my dad's like, yes, yes, that's my son. My dad was in handcuffs. He's like, yes, yes, that's my son. He's, he's, a, he's an honor roll student. He's going to college. And my dad was like, look, man, I'm not on the street no more. I, I don't, I'm not on the streets no more. I take care. I'm, I need to be here to take care of my kids. My boy's about to go to college. And then the guy looked at my dad and looked back at me. And I said, listen, if you take my father, I have to become a street. I have to get in the street life. My mother's not in my life. And my father's the only way we're eating. He's taking care of us. And if you take my father, I have to find a way to provide. And at 17 years old, trying to provide for me and my brothers, I'm going to have to be in the streets. And it was a long pause. It was, like I said, it was like seven, eight cops in this one small tight room. My father was on the bed halfway. My father's disabled, so he can walk, but he has a really bad hip, so he limps. So my dad's sitting uncomfortably, sideways, handcuffed. And um, I just felt in my gut to get up when the gun was on me. I felt in my gut to go in the room and tell him exactly how I felt. Then he looked at my father and he said, Nate, listen, man. Don't, catch, don't let me catch you on the street. If I, if I freaking catch you, I'm telling you, Nate, you're going down. And the cop looked at me and said, go to college change this whole situation, your family situation, change it. 
And I said, I will. I said, I am. But you got to uncuff him and you can't lock him up. And if they would have took my dad, I, my dad would have did some time in, in jail for, because he was on the run for 10 years. And um, we always found a way to escape him. And, and through these stories of this series, you're going to find out a whole bunch of things that we had to do my whole life. And that's what my PTSD with police officers still bug me to this day. And funny enough, Brandon, my middle brother, my little brother, actually became a cop. How funny is that? So they go and they uncuff my father. They uncuff my father. Then all the cops go out and I go out and I see my uncle. And he looks at me and goes, look, man, I got to take your uncle. And I felt extremely sad. And I felt extremely, my, my uncle also had a warrant for his arrest. And I felt, I don't know, I just felt like there was nothing I can do in that situation, right? Like I can't get too carried away. And it kind of felt selfish. But then again, I knew my uncle understood that my, it was important for my father not to go. And they took my uncle and all these cops left. And um, it was like five, six in the morning this happened. That's when they get you. They'll get you early. They'll get you knowing that you're home. And they left. And I went in there and I helped my dad, you know, lay down. And and I was like, you okay? And he's like, yeah. And, he, you know, and he was shaking. And my dad's a street dude. He grew up on the streets. But there was a point in my life that my dad, he he sacrificed his life to make sure me and my brothers didn't take that route. He sacrificed his life. He didn't bring, he, my father never brought a woman around us because he never wanted to, a woman, a woman's love to compete with our love. And um, he did everything he can to make sure I am where I am today. He's one of the smartest men I've ever met in my life. And, um, and then he told me, he's like, look, man, like, if you don't want to go to school today, don't, don't go, you know, like if you need, I know this was really hard this morning. And I said, dad, listen, man, I got to go to school, you know? And my dad was all for me going to school, right? But it was such a scary situation that happened that morning that he understood that if it was too much for me. And I said, dad, look, man, you know, moments like this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this energy and then I'm going to work even harder. And this is going to motivate me to become a, a division one football player on a full scholarship. And we're going to make it out of this situation. And I left and I sat there on the couch with my little brother and I explained I'm 17, he's like 14, and I'm explaining to him, look, man, like, you okay? And I'm checking in with everybody. And I went in the room, and I put my school uniform on, and I went to school as if nothing ever happened. In that moment, when the gun was on me, in that moment, I visualized how I had a possibility of losing my father at 17. And I, and I knew how much that was, because if I go, if I can't go to college and leave my little brother. Where's my little brother going to go if I go to college? See what I'm saying? What am I doing? And at this time, a couple months later, my youngest brother moved in with us. My, my youngest brother, didn't, he, wanted, he didn't want to live with my aunt anymore. He wanted to come move with us. So what am I going to do? I can't leave my little brother. And I know the only way my little brother's eating is because my father, you see, my father still was a hustler, but we didn't, he didn't do the same hustle that he did when he was younger. He wasn't doing, you know, a particular, he wasn't moving a product of a particular kind. He moved his, he moved a different product at the time. And, um, it was a little different, right? Cause he wasn't on the corner all day and he wasn't on the street all day moving that product. He, we had different business this time. And 
that business that he did was what was paying a, a little bit of rent and putting a little bit of food on the table. And um, yeah, if we lost that, I would have to figure a way. And when I grew up, you know, I had to move product for my father. And, you know, last year I sat him down and I got a coffee with him. And this is when I told him I was moving back home. And we just had like a, a son and dad talk. And I noticed that we still never really talked about these situations that we've been through. And there's times where I sit down with him, I'll bring these things up. And I said, dad, look, I got to, I got to start telling these stories, man. I got to, I got to get off my chest and I want your permission to see if it's okay. If I share some of this in the book, um, my book that comes out next year. And if it's okay, if I start sharing this publicly and my dad looked at me, he said, you have my permission. He goes, you know what I'm going to do? There's a lot of things on how I felt with things and things that I had to do, but I never told you guys. And there's things that happened when you were very young that you probably don't remember. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to write a letter to you. And I want you to keep that letter and you have all my permission to tell all these stories. And I felt great because usually when you want to come out, um, and, and for those that want to come out and tell their stories and stuff, you will meet some resistance with some family members. You will meet some resistance with even people that are super close to you. And I met that resistance in the beginning and I did it anyway, because without violating people, I did it anyway for the simple fact that it's my story. And I felt when the more I just didn't express these things, the more I felt like I was suffocating. So that moment when I went into my father's room, I had this belief that the universe won't let this happen. And most of these everything that I went through in my life, I felt that the universe had my back. I really did. I'm like, the universe is not going to let this happen to me because I used to make a deal with the universe. I used to have imagina imaginational stories and, and, and conversations with the universe. After that situation, I walked to school to save my $2.50 for the bus. I'll walk. Sometimes it's an hour and 15 minute walk and I'll talk to the universe and I'm like, listen, I'm going to do everything the right way. I'm not going to rob. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to cheat. But in, we have to have a deal. When I need you, you have to show up. And that, that little, and I used to always do these little talks and listen to music and use my imagination. And I felt like there's something powerful out there that's helping me through this. So when there were situations that came my way where I was able to take advantage of somebody or when I can lie to somebody or where I was able to cheat, I made this deal with the universe and I just won't do it. I won't do it. Some of the kids that I grew up with on the street think I was crazy or I was soft or whatever the case may be. I didn't care. I made an agreement and a deal with the universe. So you, I want you to think about, have you been 100% honest? Have you been 100% connected? Have you been 100% truthful? Have you been cheating? Have you been lying? Have you been finessing? If so, then you may notice that the karma that's coming back to you and that guide is bringing back the energy you put out. Try your best to keep strong intentions. When people want to do you dirty, don't expose them. When people want to, you know, lie on you, don't, don't, don't put any, that's not your job. That's the universe's job to give them their karma back. Sometimes we try to get in the way of the universe and we literally try to do the karma for people. We try to do God's job. 
<laughs> that's not your job. That's the universe's job. Stop getting away. Stop getting in the way. Because as soon as you try to get karma back or get revenge on somebody, you alchemize your energy and change your energy to meet theirs, to then give it back to them. And now you're going to get back what you just put out. You're trying to do God's job. Let the universe do its job. Sometimes people won't get their own revenge in five years, 10 years. But let me tell you something. Growing up, when I grew up at, everybody I saw that did something that was bad energy got it back. Death, prison, addiction, I've seen it all. I hope you enjoyed this story, and I'll see you in the next one. If you enjoy these podcasts, please leave a review if you haven't. Thank you for those that have been sending your reviews and leaving your reviews. If you're not following me on Spotify and Apple, please do. If you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe. Let me know your comments down below. What did you learn from this story? How did you connect to it? Peace.